Morning Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It's Monday, and you are watching AM to DM. BuzzFeed News just tweeted, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry are officially parents. The couple has insisted on privacy for their new baby boy. Which I understand. Yeah. My goodness. Which I think we're going to actually yeah. allow. Just, I just, I wish them well. Mm -hmm. I, I hope the baby is healthy. Of course, I'm happy for Megan and, and Harry, and I hope everyone's doing well. But I feel like there's this trap, right, mm -hmm. where, like, it seems like the more attention, even, like, laudatory praise for Harry and, and, and Megan mm -hmm. leads to, like, more invasions of privacy, mm -hmm. more incredible harassment, especially for Megan. So I'm just like, I love y'all. I'm not saying mm -hmm. anything. Also, it's all, it's all the social media. It's all the cameras. <laughs> it's the era we live in. Right. There used to be a time that you just had to go out, stand out on a balcony, hold that right. baby up, have a little moment, and, and then yeah. they could go be private. And especially for Harry and his family, I mean, their relationship to scrutiny in the press is, like, not insignificant, so. Congratulations. Good job. We leave you be. Let's, I thumbs up. <laughs> let's talk about spoilers. Last Thursday, the Russo brothers tweeted, if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame yet, see it this weekend. The spoiler ban lifts Monday. Ah, uh, yes. So real quick, hit, hit pause right now if you're like one of those latecomers because the spoiler ban has hit. Our gay icons, the Russo brothers, have given us permission <laughs> to discuss. I will say, I actually appreciated, here's, here's the thing, this morning, I like appreciated the guidance of it all, right? They basically gave people two weekends and they were like, here's, don't spoil it, right. don't spoil it. That was a big, heavy campaign for them. Right. And now they're saying, spoil it. And I was like, what a thoughtful gesture. Yeah. How incredible for them to really like, make space for the conversation, mm -hmm. but make sure there's time for people to see it. And then all of a sudden that Spider-Man trailer dropped, which is incredible. Doing. And it's like, oh, you're lifting the band because you yeah. guys, you're like, we gotta well, keep making that money. The, the thing is, well, one, that, but also I think it speaks to, they figured out something that I think all filmmakers and TV you know, people need to begin to realize. The way we think about fandoms, like it's not inconsequential. It's a part of the way we celebrate TV and film. Mm -hmm. And so you, as you know, if you're running the show, you know, you need to figure out how to create the, the terms of that to spare us right. all arguing with each other. So let's get into it. <laughs> did you see the Spider-Man trailer? I did. I it was did. awesome. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm glad I saw Endgame. So yeah, like, right? It's like... <laughs> figure out what's going on. Yeah. Here's my thing for Endgame, though. I enjoyed the movie. It was a good movie. I enjoyed it. I, was, I had a rousing moment, the moment with all of the women. I, like, screamed yes. I was so excited. Um, you know, America's ass. Yes, it is. <laughs> Indeed, that is America's booty. Um... <laughs> Why did not, uh, why didn't Black Widow's chosen family, that's how I think of the Avengers, they're her, they're her chosen family, why didn't they give her a funeral or a memorial or something? So I love this film so much. Mm -hmm. And for days I was just stoked on it. Saeed tweeted, or sorry, Le texted, you. texted me yeah. that. And that was the first moment where I was like, Motherfucker. Like I that was the, like, you know, and of course you get to critique things. Yeah, you yeah. get to go over things for loophole. It's a giant, giant story that they told. Of course there are gonna be some misses, but this felt like a real miss. Yeah. Like you basically just had Hulk throw a bench, and then they were like a yeah. little bit of set, oh she knows, a little bit of set. Yeah. And that was it. There's no flaming arrow. There's yeah. no like Tony had this big thing. Why not just like a little right. wreath? She's literally the torchbearer, right? Mm -hmm. She's keeping everything going. Of course, the significance of her being the sole woman for for so long until very recently mm -hmm. uh, with the Avengers films. And and, and the film itself, Endgame, it is a memorial to this, this entire era um, of this comic book franchise. So it just felt like an oversight. And, and once you start pulling at those threads, the other thing that stuck out to me was that Nebula definitely <laughs> knew how they would get the Soul Stone and didn't say shit. She's like, oh, which stone am I going to get? Not the Soul Stone? Not that one. Cool. Good luck, you guys. Nope. So they're a little, but overall, 
Really enjoyed it. I wish Nebula could have been like, hey, Star-Lord, want to go with me and get it? I know. <laughs> anyway, let's take it to the timeline. Uh, what's the in-game spoiler you've been dying to talk about? Let us know using the hashtag. They could have eaten peanut butter sandwiches, sadly. Oh, that would have been... Right, just a little... Just like a nice I get little she's nod. a spy. She likes subtlety. I get yeah. it. Well, listen, I want to go watch the movie again, but there's so much other I don't have time. stuff to talk about. Okay. Exactly. Because once again, Game of Thrones has the timeline ill at ease. Rightfully so. Uh, Natalie Emmanuel, who played Masande, tweeted her character's last line from last night's episode, Dracarys. Mm. And she said it with a bass in her voice. Mm -hmm. And then on the timeline, she added a point of clarification, just in case you didn't understand Dothraki, <laughs> a.k.a. Burn the beach. Burn the beach. Let's be very clear. Yeah. I don't know if we needed that translation. It was <laughs> such a powerful moment. When she yeah. said, when Cersei said, do you have any last words? Or like, now's right. the time. In my head, I was like, Oh, she's gonna say it. And then when she just spat. I didn't Paris. know what she, I mean, it, it's very complicated. The last thing Cersei said to her before that was so much for Breakers of Chains. Mm -hmm. Which to see the soul's sole black woman who has any lines of dialogue throughout the show's decade long run end in chains, killed in that way. I was like, I'm feeling the, the righteousness of Dracarys, mm -hmm. but I'm also like, I don't know if this is. Especially when you, but like, don't get me wrong, I wanna see Grey Worm just go and mess everything up, but. You have this on top of the Dothraki. Yeah. You have this on top of some not really good looks. I mean, looks. again, with Black Widow, like when we say like, yeah, okay, there's reasons, there's narrative and stuff like that, but it always seems like when it's like, yeah, but there's always a convenient exclamation or explanation mm -hmm. for why women, people of color mm -hmm. in these films always kind of get the short end of the stick. Yeah, That's absolutely. My so let's talk about it. Van Newkirk, writer for The Atlantic, joins us now to talk about last night's episode. Van, good morning. Good morning. All right, so let's let's get right into it. What did you make of Masande's fate? Uh, I mean, so her last words were were dope, and Dracarys, like, I think that's gonna be a good scene. But I think y'all raised some good points there. It's uh, she existed to tell a story of slavery, and now we're gonna have presumably Danny coming in again as literally the white savior. She's gonna be Nat Turner, you know. Danny Nat Turner. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I thought it was a good episode and I thought that scene was good. But the more people make me think about it, the less I like. And that's why I don't like thinking about this show. <laughs> Delightful thing to just eat and maybe not think I about. I mean, true to that point, I mean, so much happens is that you can kind of just get kind of caught up in the spectacle of mm -hmm. these last few episodes of Game of Thrones and like willfully not pay attention to the, the little detail. But I'm going to force you to do it anyway, Van. Um, let's open the aperture. Uh, it's not just Masande's character. How do you think the show has done, again, they've had a decade now to work on this, by its POC characters, characters who are not white on Game of Thrones? I mean, they haven't done well at all. And I think that's clear. Like all of them, essentially every single person of color on the show is a servant for Daenerys. And that's how it works. You know, she freed them or whatever, and she sent the Dothraki in and they died. Um, and the previous person of color on the show was the guy who was trying to finesse her into marrying him. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's how it's worked, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I don't, like think it's a super um, demerit for the show itself because the book has the same problems. Fantasy at writ large has the same problems of um, not utilizing people of color, not even thinking about the world outside of a Eurocentric fantasy perspective. Um, and that's the show has carried all those things. And I think the writers have tried to like get around them or do better uh, than the books and the, the genre. But I mean, you see moments like last night uh, where 
essentially you get the same kind of deal. Mm-hmm, absolutely. What did you make of Brianne's moment as Jamie kind of headed off and they had her there, not in the armor, just totally just like sobbing uh, of having him ride off. What did you make of that moment? You know, I, I saw lots of people did not like that scene. You know, it was, she was becoming the standard uh, woman character in a way who is pining for her man to come back. But, you know, I think I read it a different way, which was this was a very first time, I guess, since Renly, uh, where we see her vulnerable and I think she's not necessarily crying for wanting Jamie, but the fact that she sees uh, him becoming a better person, she's crying for him going back to his old ways. You know, I think he's kind of pushing her away because he's going to go kill Cersei. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if she knows that. And so he's trying to, like, play this role of the old Jamie to distance himself. And she's sad about that. And I think understandably sad. There's also a part of me that thinks she's going to go throw some armor on and get on a horse and follow real quick. That's not just a prediction. I was reading this morning in Vulture that there's also a scenario which and she's like, listen, uh, this is all but a death sentence going south. Like, your sister doesn't mean you well. The battle doesn't mean you well. Uh, why don't we just, like, you and I, we fought. Let's put down our swords, you know. But but I also had to talk to you about this tweet um, about the dire wolf because, you know, points were made, Van. I, I know you're mad. Okay, this is what you tweeted. Ghost got to join the Actors Guild or something. This is unacceptable and this was just like one of like five or six tweets you had about ghost and i get it i get it um why is it so upsetting to see ghost treated this way by the show you know i'm fed up i'm fed up with how game of thrones has treated ghost the last three or four seasons i understand that people tell me that the budget for making a direwolf on screen or whatever upsize in the real dog they have is difficult i don't care man you know you, you got a dog and he's been a member of the show. He's been John's dog, Direwolf, since the first season, since the very like first episodes of the show. And John sends him up north and gives him the coworker head nod, you know. <laughs> and that's it. He doesn't go and scratch him. He doesn't hug him. Nothing. You the ghost goes out and leads a charge against the, the the army of the dead. Comes back, loses an ear, and the best the show can do for him is. Three seconds of John giving him the loose acquaintance sort of, okay, I'm, I'm, you're gone now. And that's it. And like, I don't know. That doesn't sit well with me. And, and, and a show that can render dragons and all this cool stuff, and they can't show my man at least scratching his dog before he sends him off camera forever. Like, that, that's, that, that troubles me more than almost anything else in the show. And I don't know <laughs> what that says about me, but <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. Justice, justice for Ghost. Van, I, I will say there's supposed to be like three spinoffs they're talking about, so maybe one will just be Ghost-centric. That's what we can hope for. Van, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News director Tom Namako. For years, Ellie Hall DM'd with Hoda Mathana, who ran away from her Alabama home to join ISIS, and Ellie tracked her social media. Many of those posts revealed here in bulk called for violence against Americans. Now Hoda wants to come back to the United States. Can she? Ellie Hall joins us now. Good morning, Ellie. Good morning, Isaac. Good morning, Saeed. Hi. So, Ellie, you wrote a profile of Hoda Mathana back in 2015. Remind us, who is this young woman? She uh, is the first American woman who has been identified uh, to have gone overseas and joined ISIS. She was 20 years old when she left her home in November 2014. 
And for a long time, uh, this was, again, back before Twitter really cared about making ISIS accounts not be present and powerful there. She tweeted very violent things, threatening American lives, encouraging vehicular attacks, uh, congratulating people who carried out successful attacks. It was, uh, it was a lot of stuff. It was a lot of stuff. And understandably, you know, your profile got a lot of attention. I remember when you first published it in 2015. Uh, what was Hoda's reaction to that initial profile? And as I understand it, you know, of course, you've stayed in touch in different ways over a period of time since then. It's been almost four years. So what was her initial reaction and how has that contact changed? She uh, she thought the story was good. I mean, back then, uh, as opposed to now when she's trying to come back, she was drinking the ISIS Kool-Aid, very much all about it. And she only wanted to correct a few points about things that her friends had said about her. Like, you know, oh, my friend said that I said I dress modestly until this age. That's not true. Basically, like, my friends were wrong about me. Here are some very specific points to correct it. Yeah. Well, here's a tweet from Stacey Marie Ishmael quoting uh, your new piece on Hoda. Uh, and here it is. Uh, Sensationalist stories depicted the women as empty-headed teenagers who joined ISIS so they could marry handsome fighters. This inaccurate narrative removes the agency from these women who knowingly joined a terrorist organization. And, and I saw this discussion and, you know, inaccurate writing a lot where it was just like, oh, they, you know, these young women didn't know what they were doing. They were tricked into joining ISIS. And that does remove a uh, significant part of their own agency. Um, now, of course, the phrase ISIS bride does appear in your story in quotes and you talk about it. Um, what, are, what are some of your thoughts about how these women have been written about? There has been lots of coverage about how these women post, you know, pictures of kittens and Nutella and all, all of these things, you know, trying, making it look like they're just teens, you know, empty-headed teens who got seduced by this idea. That's not true. And actually, uh, Hoda messaged me in 2015 ranting about this. She sent me a message out of the blue saying, you know, tell the West we didn't come here to be brides. We came here because we're true Muslims and this is what all good Muslims should do. And, you know, we want to live and die here. And even though we're not fighting, you know, it's not about the husbands, but even so, like we should marry these sort of men, but it's not about that. So it's a narrative that annoyed these women, but that they're now kind of leaning into uh, to try to get back. Wow. Wow. Ellie, are you, as, as we've mentioned, you have been in touch. Do we know what made Hoda change her mind? She now does want to return to the U.S. Um, and do we know where she is now? She is in a refugee camp in northern Syria. And I believe it was her son. She has a son who turns two in a few weeks. His name is Adam. And she has said in interviews uh, that cooking grass for him and, and seeing him eat grass because there was no food was what really just made her realize, even if she comes back to the United States, she knows she'll face charges, but she just wants her son to be safe and have a good life. Wow. All right. Well, obviously we'll be tweeting your piece out right now, Ellie, so people can read it if they didn't missed it over the weekend. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. All right, friends, we have another great show for you this morning. Noah Galvin and uh, Molly Gordon from the new movie Booksmart are here. I'm so excited about this movie. It looks so funny. But up next, it's Fire Tweets. Welcome back. Okay, let's get into these fire tweets. I want to go off on these tweets like Captain Marvel and Scarlet Witch going off on Thanos, which was a lot. <laughs> I like how happy you are that you can talk about spoilers now. Oh, it feels really good. Because I can talk about all the great stuff women did in that damn movie. Anyway, this first fire tweet comes from Brett Schelling. You tweeted... <laughs> 
Gossiping with your grandma is a whole different kind of tea. <laughs> you gotta be ready. I just you thought, got to be ready when you ask your grandmas to tell you some tea. I feel like there's different types of interpretations here too, right? Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying like, one, it can be incredible. Mm-hmm. She could, she has all the knowledge, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But it also could be some of those things where she starts talking about stuff back in the day and you're just like, oh shit, grandma. You learned something about your grandma. Maybe you didn't want to know. Oh, that's true. <laughs> they're still human. Not, they're, they're still kicking. <laughs> All right. They've got, they've got a pulse, too. They have needs. They, they've, they've lived a life. Listen. They've, they might. All right. <laughs> I walked down that road. Being a bean tweeted. Cersei, any last words? Me. Jamie said the puss hit different when it doesn't share your DNA. Word on the street is he fucking this girl from Tarth. Big, thick bitch that could beat your ass. She knocked the ball cut off you. I think she pretty much decapitated. <laughs> That's, I mean, Chikaris, I think, kind of summed up a lot of that. Um, I'm just the only thing that could have been like, fuck you white people, and fuck you too, Danny. I would have just been, fuck all of y'all, fuck y'all, fuck y'all, fuck y'all, fuck y'all. Fuck y'all, fuck y'all. I mean, if you, I mean, if you, and, and you know, these episodes are well done, but still pretty rushed, but mm-hmm. the experience that Masande and Grey Worm just endured, one, like, all of their people dying brutally. Um, and when that wasn't happening, even the children that they were trying to be nice to were just like being terrible and racist. It just, and it was cold. Mm-hmm. It was cold and the out North, there. North were giving them looks. And so then like just mere moments after they're holding hands on the ship, <laughs> yeah. smiling at each other, so happy to be headed back where it's warm, uh, just hell breaks loose. Yeah. I'm gonna fuck. I think y'all. you tweeted this. Joy gets punished on that show. It really does. It's a trap on Game of Thrones. Yeah. All right, this next tweet comes oh, from Alex. All right, let's talk about Starbucks. Let's go. All in this damn Starbucks cup. He tweeted, guys, it's not Starbucks. It's Winterfell's own coffee chain, <laughs> Dyer Cup. <laughs> so if you're not aware, this is the fact that, and this is totally real, that you can actually see a Starbucks mm-hmm. cup yeah. on, like that is not right Photoshopped. There. Right in front of, right behind Daenerys. Right and one, one quick to point out, in front of John's seat. So I, if we're gonna blame an actor. But this oh, story so now has an arc to it, which is kind of wild. Of course, a lot of people are like, oh, production's rushed. They're trying to do so much. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just the lapse. Just the lapse right. of PA. Which would be it. weird because it's like so well done. And you and figure they maybe would have been able right. to take it out you and could post. Photoshop it or. So it felt a little weird. That said, now people are starting to have a little bit of a conspiracy theory that this was done on purpose. And that conspiracy theory is a little backed up by the fact that in that scene, the showrunners wearing wigs, looking like Northmen, mm-hmm. are actually in it, kind of looking directly at the Starbucks cup. So people are starting to think this might have been like a weird advertising, maybe get some money situation, and that it'll be CGI edited out after that initial release. I don't know. We have no idea. We have no idea what's going on there. It does seem weird to me that a site, that, that a show like this would lose the, like, lose the plot. Like, it just seems very weird. We've never seen something like this in the, the show, show before. Seen, they're, they're obsessed. What, I mean, actually, it's funny, like, the yeah. Russo brothers being like, I want to have a cameo mm-hmm. and do this random thing, and now the, the gamers throw. I just, there's something maniacal with these There's people. a part of me that thinks if it was a troll, that's upsetting. But there's a part of me that thinks if this was a troll for money, I know, I know it's expensive, but you could have at least given us the ghost scratch, head scratch with that extra CGI money. If this was a Starbucks ad, that feels very weird and bad. That's it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Brian, you tweeted, person, oh my God, I heard you were in a car crash. Are you okay? Business major, hey Kelsey, thanks for reaching out. Unfortunately, I did die painfully in the crash, but if you want to send me your Google calendar, I'd love to snag lunch sometime soon. Thanks for the opportunity. Best. <laughs> Could have asked to pick your brain. Could have been far Ooh, worse. Ooh, that would have been bad. 
All right, you ready to get this treatment? Sure. <laughs> it's business, but they're not going to stop. It's, it's all they know. It's the hustle. It's the hustle. All right, tweet of the day comes from KO. You tweeted, uh, my mom got into an argument with Queen Latifah at a bar 27 years ago, <laughs> and she still refuses to watch anything she's in. Woo! Wow, what was the argument about? I want to know what the argument- 27 argu years Who ago. Who was to blame? This is the kind of tea you would get if you talked to your grandmother. See? That said, you're missing some great films. That's a long time to hold a grudge. I mean, I just spent the whole weekend watching Living Single, so <laughs> I am not going to deny myself that. <laughs> yeah. By the way, there's a scene where um, you realize Katija's bedroom, she has a Queen Latifah poster uh -huh. uh, above her bed I love for Queen Latifah's Black Rain album. <laughs> See, there's a... There's someone a... shows up and like, you look like Queen Latifah, and she's like, you're just trying to get a tip. A little troll, a little yeah. troll right yeah. there. Anyway. What, what number is this for you watching it all the way through? I think it's like maybe my fifth time. Got it. Still going to keep going. All right, let's take it to the timeline, though. Tell us about a petty grudge you are still holding. Are you a grandmother who watches AM to DM? <laughs> this is your moment. <laughs> this is your moment. Uh, let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. Also, I like when grudges have people have grudges against things. Oh, yeah. More so than people. Or places. Like beets. Yeah. Like Thanksgiving, I <laughs> when I was 10 years old, I thought I was getting cranberries, and it was beets, and I've been mad at them ever since. He really has. And really, a lot of other <laughs> red things, like too. To talk about. All right, coming up, I will be talking to writer Nick Hornby about about his new project, State of the Union. But up next, we are going live from the district. Beats are impossible. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter, Paul McLeod. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Okay, Paul, the only thing messier than Game of Thrones this weekend was uh, DC. So let's start with this tweet from Kyle Griffin. Uh, today is the deadline House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler has set for William Barr, our Attorney General, to hand over the full unredacted Mueller report. This is apparently Nadler's final offer. Is that a, is that a game show reference for Trump? Anyway, uh, he has said the committee will move to contempt proceedings if Barr does not comply. Okay, this is pretty in intense. Um, how likely is it that Nadler will move forward with those proceedings? Uh, well, it just got a lot more likely because even this morning, the deadline was missed and Nadler has said that, all right, we're doing this. We're going ahead on Wednesday, he says to have a vote on the contempt proceedings. And uh, of course, Democrats control a majority on the committee. So that looks like we are going to go ahead and are thoroughly on a path to that committee finding the attorney general in contempt. Mm. Wild. Uh, let's talk Mueller for a second. Trump tweeted over the weekend, I think, and has stated that basically he doesn't think that Mueller should testify. Is that really Trump's call? Mm. Uh, it's not, I mean, in theory, no, it's not his call whatsoever. However, the reality of the situation may be different because as we've seen, what Trump wants tends to be very closely aligned with what the attorney general wants. And uh, I mean, Mueller is not the attorney general, but uh, certainly the Justice Department seems to be moving fairly in lockstep with what the, the White House has been seeking. Uh, but no, I mean, in theory, he cannot block the committee from calling uh, Mueller to testify, or from, cannot block Mueller from going to testify. And it does appear that that is set to be the case. Uh, there seems to be some sort of tentative agreement for Mueller to testify later this month. Okay, so that is something that may actually happen. Here's the thing. Um, I, I saw a, a Twitter exchange between Jerry Falwell Jr. And, and Trump, and as much as I want to write it off as being totally ridiculous, lately the ridiculous has become, you know, public policy. So, um, Jerry Falwell Jr. suggested that Trump should get two years back 
because they were stolen from him? What's going on there? Like, is this something we should pay attention to? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say, right? Like, you just kind of hope that this is going to just be one of those crazy things that, like, we don't actually have to entertain as a serious idea. But as as you pointed out, we're not, we don't really have that luxury these days. Um, I mean, yes, of course, it is, of course, absurd. Uh, the idea behind this being that the years were, these two years were somehow stolen because of uh, the Russia investigation. The Russia investigation, which, by the way, didn't actually stop the White House from doing anything. It didn't stop Congress from passing any laws. Uh, didn't really have uh, any impact. It certainly took up a lot of oxygen in terms of what we talked about, but that's not quite the same as literal theft of time. Uh, so it's, of course, an outrageous idea. Um, uh, let's just hope we never have to actually seriously entertain it. Okay, it was not a time heist not to keep bringing in the endgame references. Uh, thank you, thank Black you. Black Widow could have used two more years. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> okay, listen, uh, but we're going to talk about more scary shit because here's a tweet from CNN. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is concerned President Trump will not voluntarily step down unless Democrats win by a big enough margin in 2020 that he doesn't contest the results. The New York Times reports. So, Paul, we're talking about that two years. Oh, should we take it seriously? But how concerning is it that the Speaker, the Speaker of the House, doesn't believe that the President would accept certain election results? And I just, I just want the record to state that I was not making an Endgame reference. I was making a reference to the Terry Gilliam movie Time Bandits, which is also fantastic and everyone should watch. Uh, in terms of Pelosi, there's two ways you can look at it. I mean, one is the on-face value expressing this concern, but there's also a real tactical uh, background to what she is saying is here is that she is trying to warn her own party. She's trying to sort of guide them towards the policies and the messages that she wants to fight on in the next, in in 2020. And this has been something that Pelosi has consistently uh, been trying to do is just, just, is to sort of tamper the ambitions of some of her caucus and instead say, look, We've got to focus on the winning issues. We've got to win big. Everything is at stake here. And this is, this is you know, conventionally the argument that you will hear from party leaders when they're trying to uh, dissuade uh, their own people from getting too ambitious or going too far to the left or right. It's just saying, look, we need to win. We need to win. And this really falls in line with that, that uh, argument that Pelosi has been making for some time. Okay, so here's the thing. I've been a little... To me... Uh, when you have, as you noted, the Speaker of the House saying, listen, the President of the United States might not accept election results, uh, that's significant, then I go, okay, so are we in impeachment territory? Is that what you're also saying? Like, is this another bit of evidence to that argument? Where are we with the Democratic Party and Nancy Pelosi's thoughts on whether or not they want to pursue impeachment? So, I mean, and it is worth noting that when the... 2016 election happened and we were getting into the final days. Trump was very openly laying the groundwork to challenge the legitimacy of the election. He was making wild claims about voter fraud and millions of uh, illegitimate illegitimate ballots being cast. Uh, And then to the point where when he actually won, he had to call this investigation into mass voter fraud, which got a little bit funny because he'd actually won at this point. And of course, this commission ended up finding that there was not mass voter fraud. Uh, but had you can imagine that had he lost, uh, he would still to this day be claiming that the election was stolen. And it's certainly not outside of the realm of possibility that something like that would happen again and that the legitimacy of the next election would be in question unless it was 
you know, a, a very large, roundly uh, decisive defeat. Uh, I mean, but that said, there is, there is, like, that is something to deal with in 2020, and, like, Nancy Pelosi may or may not have a point, but in the meantime, there is this question of, okay, well, what do we do right now? And it is, as you say, the impeachment question, and there certainly are many people who want to impeach Donald Trump. There are many people who are sitting in Congress right now who would be very happy to take that up. Uh, and Nancy Pelosi and other members of Democratic Party leadership have gone out of their way to just swear up and down, we are not going to do that. We are not going to impeach the president. And if that seems kind of confusing, I mean, the reason is that they can see how this is playing in certain battleground districts and battleground states, and they can see that the attack lines that the Republicans are going to come out with about they're stealing uh, the election, they're, they're illegitimately trying to you know, stage a coup to overthrow the, the rightfully elected president. They don't want any part of that battle. And so they have uh, been quite insistent that they are not going to in any way pursue impeachment before 2020. Well, I, for one, am hopeful for the future. Uh, Paul, as always, thanks for joining us this morning. Good talking with you guys. Cheers. All right, and we've got a tweet here from Softy38. <laughs> I would also like the last two years back. I mean... Yeah, it's like if Jerry Farrell Jr. Is I saw out your tweet, I almost lost my train of thought because I was like, well, <laughs> yes, that is indeed that is it. Good point. Good <laughs> Points point. were made, Softy 38. <laughs> All right, up next, I sit down with Noah Galvin and Molly Gordon, stars of the new film, Book Smart. Yeah, two years. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my queens. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with actors Noah Galvin and Molly Gordon, stars of the new film, Book Smart. Hello, babies. Hello. How are you? Good, 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 good. Okay, so I'm so excited about this movie um, as someone who was a nerd and should have been wilder in school. Um, let's take a quick look. <laughs> we didn't party because we wanted to focus on school and get into good colleges. And it worked. But the irresponsible people who partied also got into those colleges. I'm incredible at hand jobs, but I also got a 1560 on the SATs. Okay, and that is called multitasking. <laughs> All right? Yes. Definitely. All right? Listen, well, I don't 21st know if she century ever did woman. Both I love once, it. What? You don't know her life? You're right. You're right. right. I, don't, I, don't. I wish that I was good at any of those things, but I can't say that I am. <laughs> okay, that's fair. We like yeah, transparency. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you? I mean, I just love the idea of this. I think, you know, when we're all like out of school, there's sometimes when we imagine, like, maybe I could have had a little bit more fun. Is that part of what drew you both to this movie? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what drew me to this movie was um, Olivia. Okay. Because I just think she's such an extraordinary actress. Yeah. It was um, cool to see her be a director. And though. she was such an incredible director. I wanted mm -hmm. to work with her. And then Beanie was mm -hmm. cast as the lead, and she's one of our best friends. Okay. So Noah and I did everything we could to be cast. In oh, okay. And how long yeah. have you both known Beanie? Molly longer than I. Since I was like 13. Oh my and gosh. you like five years? Four years? Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. I'm yeah. obsessed. What's it like being friends with someone just in real life, knowing them really well, and then you're like at work? I don't know. It was like a gift, especially okay. on a, you know, a, a movie set is like the funnest place to be. Okay. You know, you just get to like have a joyous, wonderful time making like fun, comedic art together, you know? Totally. And we just got to like, let our friendship inform all of the all of the fun we had at work. Just and, light up all the chemistry. Yeah, and, and you can person. get nervous sometimes, but when you look, you know, across and it's your closest friend, <laughs> you feel like you can be free in a different okay. way. Yeah, that. so that was special. That's good. Okay, so speaking of, speaking of gifts, uh, today is your birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. Okay, listen. Okay. Up. 
Okay. People are flipping out. Very expensive sound effect. Um, what, how old are you? 25. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, girl. Okay, do you have plans? How are you feeling? Um, I... <laughs> He's devastated. <laughs> I'm feeling like that... I saw a meme the other day that was like gays at the age of 25, and it was Melisandre yes. falling into yes. the snow. And yeah. Yeah, 25 is... No, I don't actually feel oh, that way. You're almost to your midlife gay crisis. Yeah, we'll probably. Quarter like life 30. at least. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I just feel like we can't connect because I'm 24. Yeah. Like, like, I don't even know whoa, who you are. And, yeah, now. exactly. No, You're yeah. so much older than me. Yeah. Can't even relate. No, We're just going to surround you with I'm, gay witches. No, it's very gay witches. That's right. Vibes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, happy birthday. Um, well, we were talking about Olivia Wilde, and I, you know, I love her on screen. Um, I'm excited to see her work as a director. Tell us more about working with her. She was just so relaxed mm-hmm. and so happy. Like, it felt exactly what she was meant to do. Yeah. She's just amazing. She's not only, like, an actor's director. She's been an actor for so long. Mm-hmm. So she was mm-hmm. able to, like, meet us where we were at um, and make us feel safe and create this, like, beautiful, safe space for us to just, like, play and be crazy mm-hmm. in and, you know, mess up and do all the things that you need to do in order to make, like, a good film. And she not only was, like, an actor's director, but she also just schooled, like, every facet of uh, what it takes to be a director. Mm -hmm. She was, like, so technical and able to, you know, just be on the on the same page with like every single department. It was totally. so she inspiring cared about to watch. every department in All a right. way that I haven't really seen, and I think it shows in the movie. Like every every choice that she made is so specific. Mm-hmm. It looks like real high school. It doesn't look like a high school movie. Okay. They feel like real people. Yeah. Like, like the costuming, like, the music. Yeah. All right. So no, yeah. no accidental like Starbucks. No, like, no um, Starbucks. No Starbucks. Unless it was supposed pubs. to be there. That's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I no love Starbucks. it. Well, so what was um did you were there scenes where you were like, I am so excited to do this because I always kind of wish I gotten to do it in high school? I mean, you're a karaoke. Singer. Yeah. I got to like very last minute, I was thrown into a karaoke scene <laughs> in the movie. Tell us more. Um, in which I had to sing Alanis Morissette's You Oughta Know. And they sort of, like, didn't really know how the day was going to go or, like, how much of it they were going to use. Like, if we have time. Yeah, so they sort of, like, threw me and Caitlin Deaver in the corner and had us learn the entire song. Okay. Um, And so we spent, like, two hours that morning just learning You Ought to Know (laughs) and then singing it, like, 50-odd, you know, some odd times. It seems like a really hard song, actually, to sing even close to well. Sure, but I didn't really have to say Okay, well. you're just you know, it's a drunken karaoke scene I could just <laughs> But you're, you're vocally strong in it. Thank you. You sound fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much. He's on Broadway right now. <laughs> so he has yes. yes. How are waitress? How about you? Um, was there a scene that you were just like, this is it. This is my revenge for high school. I feel like <laughs> getting to say that I was good at the SAT. It <laughs> <laughs> was your ultimate revenge. Literally the fact that I got to say that line, I was like, this is so incredible. Um, to look back and go back to how sad I was during that time when I was failing it, to be mm-hmm. like, it's okay, you'll like get to say in a movie uh-huh. that you were good at. <laughs> but no, getting to like be mean to Beanie in a movie was, yeah, a, it was, was, very was a life fun. goal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you were mean to Beanie. It's too. almost like easier yeah, you're to be snippy. enemies with your, with with your, your friends. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, it's harder to be friends with your friends on camera, I think. Oh, interesting. Why? I don't really know. Okay, because I was just, I was like, would you, it was like you say something mean, and then you have to cut because you're you're gonna break immediately. Or? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we make each other laugh a lot. We've totally. like written things and and done little shorts together, mm-hmm. and 
<laughs> I just can't handle anything Noah does ever. So I'm I'm actually lucky that I didn't work with him that many times <laughs> in this movie. Um, no, I feel like you feel like you can be mean to your fr- there's like a freedom where if you're working with someone you haven't and mm-hmm. you're being mean to them, you feel like, I hope you know that I'm not this character, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he knows that we love each other and mm-hmm. he knows that yeah. we love Good. each other. Good, yeah. I would hope so. Yeah, I would hope so. hopefully. Yeah. Um, no, I did want to ask you, uh, your Vulture interview in 2015 uh, got people's attention. I was <laughs> screaming yes at my desk uh, just a few <laughs> feet away from here. Actually, it was 2016. Um, you kept it real. Uh, you were you know, talking about representation in Hollywood and... Um, and, I, and and even Daniel Francese was just talking about, like, after playing his role in Mean Girls, he mm-hmm. felt like he has been typecast ever since. Um, have things begun to change in the years since you had that conversation? Like, have you had some people come up to you and say, like, thank you, actually, like, we need to talk about this? Um, a little bit. I don't know. I would hope that, like, that conversation... You know, I don't think I was the one to start that conversation, mm-hmm. but I hope that she like, joined it. I yeah. certainly joined that conversation, <laughs> didn't I? Yeah. Um, I'm, but you know, I'm I'm happy to be a part of that conversation, a small piece of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as uh, non diplomatically as it as it may have as I may have done it, mm-hmm. um, happy to be a part of that conversation. And I don't know, I don't know if it's changing. Mm. I would hope so. I'd hope that, like, this movie is a little, you know, step in that direction. Yeah. Caitlin Deaver plays a queer character in this movie, mm-hmm. and I think it, like, beautifully explores what it's like to be a, a, a young queer person mm-hmm. in, like, a really real way. Awesome. Yeah. And the movie isn't about the, like, trials and tribulations right. of being a queer person, but it's just, like, exploring a, a person who happens to be queer, and I think that's a beautiful thing. I love it. So let this movie... <laughs> March that conversation March that conversation for it. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I, you know, it's, I don't know. I think when shit's fucked up, sometimes you got to say fucked up shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, well, so you are on Broadway. Uh, you've been on the stage here in New York, off-Broadway as well. Um, off-Broadway. Together. Off-Broadway. We were together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We stand. Um, I want to ask you if, if you could uh, step into any role right now. You know, on stage or not, or you're like dying to be in Oklahoma or something. What would you, what would you two opt for? <laughs> Actually, um, now I want to see you two star in Oklahoma together. Well, I just saw it, and it's yeah. incredible. It's, yeah. it's My amazing. brother-in-law, Will Brill, yeah. plays Ali Hackman oh, in it. Yeah. I knew that. Hackham, yeah, in it, yes. <laughs> He's amazing. He's very amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to, do, I'd like to just be, like, shucking be corn in Mary the back. Costa? Like, don't even, ha- yeah. Just you want to be Ann Eller? <laughs> yeah, I want to be Ann Eller. There we go. I like it. But she's amazing, yeah. Any role? I don't know. I'm in Waitress right now playing Ogie. Maybe I'd like to take a swing at Jenna. Okay. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here for I see the vision. I, I see the vision, too. Thank you. We're like, we got you, girl. Yeah. Right. Well, Noah, Molly, y'all are just absolutely delightful. Um, and I'm so excited everyone's going to see you very soon in Book Smart. Uh, guys, it premieres nationwide Friday, May 24th. Go support it. You love these movies. You want more of them? We got to show up for them. Up next, Isaac is going to sit down with writer Nick Hornby. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Welcome back. I'm so excited to be joined by Nick Hornby. He's written High Fidelity, About a Boy, numerous others. The movies he's written in Education, Brooklyn, Wild, and his new project is the show State of the Union, starring Rosamund Pike and Chris O'Dowd. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. And there's also like a book that goes with this show, but we'll get into that okay. in a little bit. Okay. Uh, Ten-minute format, right? Yeah. These are very short kind of nugget episodes. What made you want to go in that direction? Um... 
I'd seen a couple of things that I thought were really interesting that that played with the form, and and then it was really that I was stuck waiting for directors to commit to screenplays and and finance, and I, I couldn't start a novel. And I thought, I've got like a month. What am I going to do with a month? Maybe I'll try one of these short things. And I had the idea of the couple who we never see in therapy meeting right before. I thought I'd give it a go, and and it got very out of hand, as you can see. Yeah, it became a real serious thing with real serious people attached yeah. to it. Let's talk about the premise of it a little yeah. bit. Like you said, it's a couple going to couples therapy, but we never actually see them in the therapy, right? It's them meeting up at a pub yeah. right before. It's the 10 minutes right before. So um, the, the, the therapist's office is across the street. They can see it out of the window, so they can actually see other couples going in and out as well. Um, and they try to plot what, they're going to say, and they're trying to talk about what happened last week, but everything gets really jumbled up. Really jumbled up yeah. very quickly. I got to say, this is a little different than you see, uh, especially as a U.S. citizen, as American watching British television. I'm kind of used to the stoicism. Were you hoping to kind of <laughs> get, like, like going to therapy, there can still be a little bit of stigma to it. Are, are you trying to kind of break that down a little bit? Well, I think that probably marital therapy is the one therapy that has less stigma than anything else. Mm. It seems less self-indulgent, I mm. guess. If you've got kids and your marriage is in trouble, you think, what am I going to do? Whereas um, if you're you know, a, a writer who's going crazy, it seems more self-indulgent, perhaps, to go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but important. <laughs> important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But also <laughs> important. Uh, in one of the episodes, you kind of use Brexit. Yeah. So I got to ask, do you see Brexit as a form of divorce? Um, well, as uh, Rosamund says, it just is a divorce. We're trying to divorce from 27 other countries and, uh, and separate off and, and take our crap with us. And um, uh, I think what we're finding is it's literally impossible in this situation. You, so, really, so, you really think that there's no way Brexit can work? No, I think uh, one of the French guys said it was like trying to get the eggs out of an omelette. <laughs> and, um, and I think that's a pretty good analogy. <laughs> You're like, I think that works. <laughs> yeah. All right, I wanted to read this tweet from Alana Bennett, who's a wonderful writer, tweeted, between an education, Brooklyn, and Wild, I trust Nick Hornby to write genuinely complex women in his movies in a way I don't trust many other men. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you, why, why do you think men have such an issue with writing complex women in their stories? I, I honestly can't understand it. I, I think that if you are alive and you want to write, then you look at the people that you live with, who, you know, your mother, wife, sister, and you know what they're like, and why can't you capture that on page? If you can do the guys, why can't you do the women? I, I don't think I should get any credit for it. I think mm. it's just like life, um, and, it, and it's part of my job. But I, I really like writing about women. Yeah. Can I ask, do you think it's something you did get better at? Oh, sure. And, and partly because I was a bit scared. I, I, and I, I would say that one of the things that was wrong with High Fidelity, my first novel, is like, like well, women, I better just say they're really smart and grown up. <laughs> and then I'll get away with it. Mm -hmm. And and after that, it got more complicated. And there, there's talk of like a retelling of High Fidelity, it's right? as we speak. From Zoe Kravitz, yeah. playing more from the women's point of view? No, she just is the woman. She I just, mean, she's Rob. Yeah, she's and Rob. She's Rob in High Fidelity. Got it. Are you so excited to see that play out? Are you thinking that this could correct some of those things? Uh, no, because I think that, I think that um, Zoe's Rob is 
uh, still a mess. And, yeah. um, you know, so it's, I don't think it's a correction so much as women can be messed up in that way too. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm really excited about the show. I think Zoe is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we've been talking and um, I've been reading the scripts and, and we've been um, working a little bit together. And one of the things is she so loves her music. And, of course, mm -hmm. that rather extraordinary... Um, uh, line that she comes from yeah. as well with yeah. uh, her dad and her mum was in High Fidelity, uh, the original movie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's fun. It's, and, and to see music kind of captured that way. Yeah. Let's, let's just talk about this. I, and I've been dying to kind of ask you. You have written so many books and they've been turned into movies yeah. and then you've written movies and the, the books have been turned into shows and now there's these 10 minutes. When you sit down to write now, mm. do you picture it visually? Did you always do that? Do you, how do you tell, hey, this would make a great novel, this would make a great show? Where, where do you find those lines? It's a um, big question. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's only a couple of times with movies um, where I've, I, I haven't written an original movie for a start. Mm -hmm. um, and Education was an adaptation of a very small essay. Mm -hmm. And then Wild, Brooklyn. Um, so to a certain extent, that takes care of itself. People have come to me with stuff. And education was different because I found the essay and wanted to do it. And, you know, you can't, I don't think, make a novel out of someone else's life anyway in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then shows or, or, or novels. I think novels, you know, it's a big idea. You want to follow people over two or three years. Um, there are lots of books that I think make terrible movies simply because characters get too old or, or that the time span is too big. I, it, it seems to sort itself out in my mind. In your mind and figuring out, do you think you'd want to write an original screenplay? Yeah, and I've done it, but I think it's really interesting. I've, I've done one that hasn't been made, but I think it's really interesting what happens to the business um, is that someone writes a book, it gets optioned, and then you're on the clock. Mm -hmm. um, so everything else goes out of the window. If you're writing an original screenplay, you think, oh, they want me to do this thing and we're on the clock. Mm -hmm. And the producers are thinking, right, we've got 18 months to do this before we lose the option. So all the energy and the time goes into the adaptations mm -hmm. and the originals, which always have to be a little bit of a passion project um, and on your own time, get shoved to one it's side. It's easy to put that on the back yeah, burner. Yeah. I hear you. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for coming in and talking with us. State of the Union premieres today on SundanceTV.com and the app. Up next, we're reading more of your tweets, and it is fantastic. Thanks again for coming in, man. Thank you. All right, the talk of spoilers and endgames, that, uh, that ban is officially over. So we asked, what is the endgame spoiler you have been dying to talk about? And Jen tweeted, Captain America finally being able to wield Mjolnir, that's my attempt at it, oh, okay. Thor's hammer. I screamed, such a great moment, we all knew he could. That was pretty exciting. That, this is the thing. Also like, Thor with like both, when he had both at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Exciting. This is the thing about this movie to me. I feel like sometimes people use the word fan service in a negative way mm. to kind of mean just kind of lazily giving fans what they want. I also do think there's almost a concept of like highbrow fan service. And I just feel like that's what this movie delivered. Oh, if not highbrow, high quality. Mm. And it just delivered it over and over and over again. In Age of Ultron, we see Captain America. Right. 
the uh, just, slight. Just move it just the slightest mm-hmm. bit so to have him be able to pick it up. Mm-hmm. We all knew he could do it. Jen, I agree 100%. And I, I you know, and to that same point when you're noting to Age of Ultron, I felt like um, Captain Marvel not flinching when it came right by her was a setup for down the line she's going to have. You know, yeah, that, yeah. that same, like, I'm not afraid. Yeah. I, I know I have nothing to fear because I am brave. That Absolutely. part of who I am. Also, I just want to say, and I, I, this might set the timeline ablaze. Go nuts. I have not seen the Captain Marvel movie yet. I'm sorry, I will see it. This is my first time seeing her. And another thing that I was texting Isaac about, I was like, she's queer, right? Like, we we did it. We just going to act like she did it. It was a good haircut. It was a good haircut. I know my family when I see it. Tanya <laughs> tweeted, I assume there was a Black Widow funeral off screen. Okay. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I didn't get annoyed that they could not find the two minutes to show it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I assume that there was an off screen memorial. I would hope, to, I hope somewhere there's like some cut fit, footage and at some point, you know, or, or just, I mean. That is the right? thing about building a world, a yeah. universe this big and building a movie this big, right? You do have like, even you just said when I was joking earlier in the show about Nebula, mm-hmm. it's like maybe that is a conversation that maybe. had been. You do kind it. of have to right. give storytellers a little bit of the benefit right. for the, of the death. Yes. So I do like the idea that maybe there was an off-screen, very secret, mm-hmm. beautiful send-off yeah. for Black Widow. I, I, because I have been just dragging the Russo brothers so much, I do want to say I'm deeply impressed with how they did time travel mm-hmm. and used the film in a very satisfying way to go back into the character story. See, mm-hmm. Like Thor returning to see his mother, like that mm-hmm. was, I thought, very beautiful and sweet and funny, you know? Like that was very impressive how they did that. So it's just like they were doing so much right that I think like sometimes like the, the one little thing that feels off kind of stands can, out. Can really stand out. Yeah, That's but it's a, it's a great film. I will add, this is the other thing that I just think is amazing, and Game of Thrones does this too. The people I was rooting for, the people that I was interested, the people that I really cared about at the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm. have kind of changed. And I thought, well done on that. I'll say this, Thor was not somebody I was very interested in for a lot of the start of the MCU, but something about Thor Ragnarok, and now this one has really turned it around for me, and I am... Really excited to see what they do next with that character. Uh, We also wanted to know about a petty grudge you are still holding. You were at my wedding, Denise says. God, that's a good throwback. That's really funny. We had to share desks in the third grade. I'm still mad at the guy who I shared a desk with. His elbow always used to sneak over to my side of the desk, which I could have lived with, but he also was not very nice. This was 24 years ago. I also do not like that. Sometimes you I hold grudges. I deeply understand it. Well, I'm just going to move on lest I start laying names. I hate the elbow <laughs> thing. Anyway, thank you to all of our guests this morning. A lot of really fun conversations. Yeah. Uh, Ellie Hall, Paul McLeod, Van Newkirk, Justice for Ghost. We have not forgotten you, Ghost. <laughs> Noah Galvin, Molly Gordon, and Nick Hornby. They were absolutely awesome. delightful. Yeah. He was absolutely delightful. We will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your Monday. <laughs>